All right. This morning's scripture is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's word, it's true, and it's given out of his love. Thanks, guys. You can be seated. Amen. Thanks, Brandon. Well, just to reiterate what everyone said, good morning. Merry Christmas. It's good to have everyone here worshiping this morning on a cold day. Um, we, we are in the week three of our Advent series, which if you're not familiar with Advent, Advent is a Latin word that means coming, and it's this season where we anticipate the coming of Jesus uh, in the form of a baby when he was, he was born some almost 2,000 years ago. Uh, and so what we do as a church is we spend the four weeks leading up to Christmas to, to, to focus our hearts and to zero our attention in on the significance of Jesus' birth for not only just for our lives, but for the whole universe. It totally changed the course of everything. And so the theme we're going at this month is God with us. It comes from that passage that uh, Brandon just read. And, and we started off with this, this notion that, that as humans, our deepest fear is, is being alone. We, we, we fear never being known truly. We, fail, we fear never knowing a true intimacy uh, and relationships. Uh, and our, our biggest need as humans is to be forgiven from our sins because sin is what creates this barrier and divide not only between us as humans, but also between us and God. And so into that fear and that brokenness comes this prophecy that Brandon just read of Jesus Emmanuel. And the first week we talked about how, how Jesus, uh, the Hebrew of that is Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves, God alone saves. And so the, the miracle of Jesus' birth is, that, is the process of God revealing his salvation to humanity. And then within that miracle of him coming to save us is also the answer to that biggest fear that we have. It's this, this promise of God with us. And because God is with us, we never have to fear being alone. We never have to fear lacking intimacy because God has come among us. He took on flesh. And that's this really incomprehensible topic. If you think about it, the idea of, of God among us is something our minds can't wrap around. Just like we said last week, you can't understand what it means for the, the universe to be as vast as it is. There's no way our, our, our finite minds can grasp that. And in the same way, there's no way our finite minds can grasp this miracle that God is among us, that God is with us. And so it's, it's into that incomprehensibility that the word became flesh, that, that God himself took on human flesh and became a man and lived among us. And that the reason that the birth of Jesus is so important is because it makes the incomprehensible, God among us, it makes it understandable. It makes it comprehensible because God bridged that gap by coming to earth and living among us. And so our, our prayer for us as a church this, this month is that we'll be able to, to experience Emmanuel, God with us. We'll see Jesus as the Savior of our sins, this Yeshua, Yahweh saves, and that we, we won't get distracted by all the materialisms and all the different things in this season that can pull us different ways, but instead we'll be able to focus in on Jesus and see that the, the miracle of the incarnation is that the incomprehensible became comprehensible. 
So, so now what we're doing this morning is, is we're trying to bring it from that first century timeline up to the 21st century. So 2,000 years have passed. We sing all these awesome Christmas carols that talk about the birth of Jesus taking place you know, in, in a stable. He was laid in a manger, all these wonderful things. And it creates in us this, this mindset that says, you know, this may very well have been a, a historic event, but it was back then. And what difference does what happened back then make for me today? Because we say that this is this miracle of God with us, but Jesus isn't on earth still. You can't go to Jerusalem and run into him. So what, what difference does it make that God was with them then if he's not here with us today? How do we know that this promise of Emmanuel, God with us, means anything for us today? And, and more personally, how do we know that this promise of God with us means anything to us as individuals? Because, because that, sometimes that us word, that God with us collectively, we can lose sight of the fact that also that collection is made up of individuals. It's of, of you and me. It's not just this promise that God is with us. It's that God is with me and that God is with you. That's what we're, we're studying this Advent season. So, so our, our prayer this morning is that we would see that this is not just an idea that happened back in history, but it's, it's a timeless event that changed not only what happened 2,000 years ago, but the course of human history ever since then. So let, let's pray and then we'll get into the study of God's word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this, this miracle of Christmas that we can celebrate this, this beautiful truth of Emmanuel, God with us. I pray that we would not take this lightly this morning, but as we study your word and see from all these different places, what the, the beauty of that concept means for us as individuals, I pray that you would stir in the hearts of each of us in this room. I pray that we would not think of this as some uh, you know, ethereal concept that makes no difference, but we would see how tangible and impactful it is for each of us and how it changes not only the course of history, but the course of our lives as well. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, Emmanuel. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are going to start off in Matthew 28. So if you have your Bible, you want to flip there. That's where we're going to spend the first part of the, our time. And then from there, we're going to be all over the place. There's going to be a, a lot of different verses to try to highlight this theme of God with us. So on the table Bibles, it's page 835. And this is a, a really famous passage of Scripture. I feel like it's every few months we end up circling back around to this because it, it's such an uh, impactful a uh, few verses where it talks about the, the, the importance of us as Christians sharing the good news of God's love with people who don't know it yet. So I'm going to read through it first, and then we're going to talk about it. And we're looking at it from this lens of what difference does that promise of God with us back then, of Jesus coming to earth back then, what difference does that make for us here today? So Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16, this is after the resurrection. Jesus was already crucified, buried for three days, rose again, defeating sin and death. This is the final words of Jesus as he calls his disciples to himself. He says, uh, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. And the reason this passage is so important is for a couple of reasons. First of all, is like we said, this idea of God with us was not just an event that changed a few people's lives in the first century Palestine area. Okay, this, this idea literally changed the entire course of human history. And the reason that you and I are in this room this morning is because there was a chain of events that began on this mountain with Jesus commissioning his disciples. And that chain of events has continued for millennia leading up to this moment where, where you're here because someone told you about this good news of Jesus. 
And, and in the midst of hearing that, that good news, the reason that they told you is because someone had told them. And the reason someone had told them is because someone came before them and told them. And that, that's this, this history of events for 2,000 years that began here. And so this promise of God with us was not just impactful for that first century. It's been impactful for all of human history because of the fact that this, this great commission has gone forth from here and his disciples have, have gone forward making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And that's, that's why we're in this room this morning. The, the, the other reason that we wanted to highlight this passage, and this is actually something Perry pointed out to me, is that if you go back to that passage that Brandon read, and it said that this is this promise of Emmanuel, which is God with us. And now you look at the very end of this book. This is all the book of Matthew. And how does Matthew choose to end his book? With this promise from Jesus saying, I will be with you to the end of the age. And in the Bible, when you see bookends like that, it's called an inclusio, which means that if he ends an idea and he begins an idea with the same words and the same concept, what he's saying is everything in between those brackets is what that means. So what does it mean for God to be with us? You have to read the entire book of Matthew to really understand this beauty of what the, what the miracle of God with us means. So that, that means when you see the, these miracles of God, of Jesus raising the dead, of him teaching on his identity as God, um, him making the deaf hear and the blind see, all of those miracles are what it means for God to be with us. Now, our, our church this last week had, had this amazing picture of this, this uh, metaphor of the deaf Hearing, we have uh, Tim and Louise's son Isaiah had his collicular implants turned on this week. I hope you saw that video we sent out in the prayer request. And uh, it's this amazing sight where this child has not heard, and, the, and then he finally gets the chance to hear music for the first time. And he's so overcome with joy, he starts dancing. Uh, Tim said it's like he's never danced like that before. I mean, there's the sad part of that is that the first song he heard was Mariah Carey. So <laughs> I think uh, Tim's under church discipline for that one. That's not, that's, yeah. But, but in the midst of that, in the midst of all that sin of Mariah Carey, we have this beautiful picture of, the, of a, a deaf child hearing for the first time. Okay, and, and the reason those miracles happen in the book of Matthew is because Matthew, the author, is saying, this is the beauty of God with us. God with us means that the blind can see and that the, the, the spiritual blindness we have in our hearts, that our eyes can be opened to see the beauty of Jesus. You know, the, the, the beauty of God with us means that, that our, the ears of our soul, we can hear the good news in a fresh way and understand that the, the fact that God came to be with us, to save us from his, our sins. And, and that's what, what God with us means. And so, so when Jesus tells his disciples, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, he's saying, because I came and lived a sinless life, because I demonstrated my power through miracles, because I showed the, the, the perfection of my teaching and, and all of my sermons, and because I died a death, uh, atoning death for you on the cross, taking on the sin of the world, and then I defeated that sin and death three days later by rising again, that's what it means for Jesus to have authority. And if Jesus has that authority, he is saying, in his authority, go make disciples. And as you go, because that, that's this, this ongoing verb, it actually says, as you go, make disciples. And saying, anywhere you go, make disciples. So the, the ends of the earth, the farthest reaches of the, the globe where I've never heard the name of Jesus, we need to go there and make disciples. You also need to go to the end of your street, to your neighbors who, who don't understand this concept of God being with us, of Jesus actually loving us. That's what it means to go make disciples. And the reason we're able to go make disciples is because he is with us. God with us is not just something for the first century. It's something that is true for all of us because he has promised he'd be with us Till the end of the age. It, till the end of time. The, the age has not ended. Time has not ceased. And because of that, we have this promise today that says God is still with us. 
So if you're here and you're doubting and you're wondering what difference does it actually make, the difference is that Jesus' promise to be with us continues on. It hasn't ceased just because he ascended into heaven. And that's what gives us confidence as we go on. No, excuse me. As we go on mission, we have that confidence because his promise is to be with us still. Okay? And in the middle of that, well, actually in the middle, if you go back to the beginning, when Jesus calls his disciples, it says that they worshiped him, but some doubted. And, and that's always been one of the most strange verses in the Bible, I think, if you, if you think about it, that, that these people who had followed Jesus for three years had seen him die on the cross, they knew he was dead, and now all of a sudden they're experiencing him alive, they're seeing him uh, with their own eyes, and in the midst of that miracle, there's people who are doubting whether it's true or not. Like this, this, this sin of doubt, or not, sorry, not sin of doubt, this struggle with doubt, that's an important distinction. The struggle with doubt is something that, that's real for all of us at different seasons in our lives. And, and unless you wrestle through that season of doubt, you won't understand what it means for Jesus to have all authority. And, and there's this another beautiful verse in Jude where it says, have mercy on those who doubt. As Christians, we're commanded to be merciful, to show grace to people who are doubting. Too many times the church has turned into this place where if you have any questions or doubts, you're just pushed aside and you're told that you're, you're being too skeptical and you're not welcome here. And, and, and these tables that we have at our church, these have to be a place where someone who is doubting experiences the mercy of Jesus. Because, because if in the midst of his resurrection there can be people in that crowd who are doubting, how much more in our tables is there people who are struggling with doubt? And my fear for us personally is that as we have grown as a church, we're becoming a little squeaky and clean. And, and we're starting to perfect this image of what a good church should look like. And if in the process of all that growth and people coming and, and us putting on our best, if we're not that safe place to invite your friends, if we're not that place where you can have doubts and wrestle with them at your tables, then there is no point in doing any of this. Okay, the reason we are gathering together is so that we can make disciples of all nations. And that includes the people in your life, in your family, in your neighborhood, who struggle with whether they can trust the church. Who they, they struggle whether they will ever know intimacy and deep friendship. They struggle if they can trust God because they have been wounded by other Christians. This has to be that place where we can be a safe place for those who doubt. And, and the reason that's important, 1 John 4.18 says that love casts out fear. So, so if you are afraid of what it means to be a part of a church community, you have to come here and experience that love, that all-encompassing, all-forgiving, all-merciful, all-gracious love that says, you know, it, it's okay to be here and wrestle with where you're at. That perfect love is what's going to cast out the fear of the fact that, that we are all broken. We, we do need Yeshua to come and save us from our sins. We're, we're all lonely and longing for intimacy. We do need this miracle of God to be with us. And that we don't experience that miracle by pretending we have it all together. We experience that miracle because we know we're broken and we know we need Jesus. And in, in the midst of that brokenness and knowing that we need Jesus, we have this promise that God is with us. And if he's with us till the end of the age, that means God is still with us. Don't dismiss this as an idea that was only for the first century. If he said he is with us till the end of time, Time has not ended. We know that his promise to be with us is still true today. But, but here's the other thing that we talked about last week when we got into John 1. Uh, hey, Devin. How's it going, man? Uh, the, um, when we got into John 1, there was this, in the middle of the passage, the point of the whole section was that, that uh, if you believe, well, let's just read it. Let's go to uh, John 1, 12. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you did receive him, if you believe in his name, you become children of God. 
Now that process, becoming children of God, also says that not everyone is a child of God in the same way. But in some sense, there are people who are still orphans and there's people who are adopted. That's why that, that, that call to worship and this idea of adoption is such a beautiful image of what it means to become God's children. But, but if God is with us and if through faith in Jesus you become his children, that means that not everyone is an us. Does that make sense? Okay, but as soon as you say that not everyone is one of us, we have to be really careful because this distinction, this us-them dichotomy is what humans do in all areas of our life. We create an us and we create a them. And us is good and them is bad. And then we make sure that we keep the separation between us and them. And throughout human history, all the devastation and evil and destruction and pain that, that, that societies have wrecked on each other, that has always come through this us-them distinction. So when I say that there's an us and a them, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay, what, what we have to start off with is understanding that we are all an us when it comes to our brokenness before Jesus. If we ever view someone as more in need of God's grace than we are, then we haven't understood the concept of grace. One of my favorite authors, Paul Tripp, he talks about the reason in marriage that we struggle a lot of times is because we see our, our spouse as bigger, having bigger problems than we do. And so the line he uses is saying that at a deep level, our spouse is more like us than unlike us. And, so, and that's true for all humanity. We, we never outgrow grace. You never graduate needing grace. And at a heart level, your neighbor is more like you than unlike you. Your, your, your coworker is more like you than unlike you. Your, 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 um, people from different religions and backgrounds who, who say they don't believe in Jesus, they're more like you than unlike you because they still have that same need in their hearts whether they understand it or not. Okay, so, so that's laying the groundwork. But, for, but from there, there is this distinction the Bible makes that says there are some people who are orphans and have not yet been adopted by God. And so this promise of God being with us, he's talking specifically about those people that have died to their old selves and have been resurrected to live a new life with him spiritually. Galatians 2 describes it this way. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but listen to this, Christ lives in me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And that came because he was crucified to his flesh. He died to his old life and he's been resurrected to live a new life in Christ. And because of that, Christ lives in me. It says, in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So this, this promise of God with us, the reason we can believe that God is with us, according to Galatians 2, is because Christ is in us. If you are a follower of Christ, the reason that promise of God with us stands true is because you have died to your old self and Christ is in you now. Christ is still with us because Christ is in us by the spiritual resurrection we experience when we give our lives to him. Now, 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 that's what we call regeneration. It's the moment of salvation. It's giving your heart to Jesus. There's all these different things that we use to describe it. But the point is, it's this moment where you have been moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You're moved from being an orphan to being a beloved son and daughter of God. And that distinction looks different in a lot of people's lives. Sometimes it happens in a very specific moment. You can look back and you know, I was saved on this date at this time in this exact way. Other times, it's this ongoing process where you say, I kind of grew to understand what it mean, meant for God to love me and for me to trust him. But the point is, in either of those scenarios, there becomes a moment 
where you realize that you were dead in sin and your faith in Jesus makes you alive and Christ is in you. So it's like waking from a dream. Sometimes you have a nightmare and you wake up quickly and you're startled at the contrast between the dream and what it means to be awake. Other times you wake slowly and it's this drifting in and out of consciousness till you realize that you are finally awake. But the point is in either of those scenarios, there comes a moment where you're no longer asleep, but you are actually awake. Okay, and that's what it means for Christ to be in us, is you understand that you were asleep, but now you are fully awake and you're living for him in this regenerate heart that he has given us. And so we have the promise that God is with us because Christ is in us. So each of us have to ask this question, again, not just the us, but the me. Is Christ in me? Have I put my faith in him? And that's this, this doctrine of we're saved by grace through faith. Okay, so, so grace is the unmerited favor of God, and faith is resting in, not working for, the unmerited favor of God. Okay, faith is when we rest in instead of working for the grace of God. And so if, if you have not come to that point, if you've never said, yes, I do put my trust in him, then the harsh reality of this idea of God with us is that he's not with us all in the same way. But the invitation, the call to all of us is to say, when you put your faith in him, this promise is, we have God with us because Christ is in us. It's, it's, not, it's not a condemning call to say you're not one of God's children yet. It's an invitation. God's beckoning you closer and saying, put your faith in him. And when your faith is in him, you can have the promise that God is with us because Christ is in us. And so, so what that looks like, practically speaking, because like we said, Jesus isn't in Jerusalem anymore. He ascended into heaven after he rose. And so from there, what, how do we know that Christ is in us? What does that even mean? Jesus explains it a little more in John 14. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, and listen to this, who will be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He will be with you forever. He dwells in you, will be with you. Uh, he, John continues, or Jesus continues in John 16. says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The, the reason, what it means for Christ to be in you is that his Holy Spirit is actually indwelling you. The Holy Spirit is this helper who, who, because you have given your life to Jesus, putting your faith in him, the Holy Spirit actually resides in you and is the one that empowers you to serve Jesus. That's what it means to have Christ in us. We, we know that God is with us because Christ is in us. And even though Jesus is physically absent, his spiritual presence is what empowers us to serve him today. Okay? Knowing that God is with us is what gives us the strength to serve him today. We, I have this funny story, Kelly and I do have a a friend who was going to a church where they had a, a nursery and then in the hallway to the nursery they had this two-way mirror where you could see in and see what's happening with your kids but your kids couldn't see out. And so she was, she was walking by one day and she saw her daughter hit another girl. So uh, isn't this hilarious so far? Uh, so then she, uh, she ran around the corner really quickly and she grabbed her and pulled her aside and said, listen, you cannot hit other people and I want you to remember, Jesus and mommy always see you no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> And that, that threat of a parent saying, like, I always, you didn't see me see you hit this girl, but mommy always sees what you're doing. That was the, the fear of God or the, the fear of mom in that moment she was trying to use to empower her child to obey. Um, it's kind of like that, but, but not really. What we're saying is, because God is with us, 
because Christ is in us, that's what gives us the power to obey him today. I mean, have you noticed that like, as a kid, you always worked a lot harder when your dad was sitting there watching you or when he was working alongside you? Okay, and that, that presence of a loving parent is what empowers you to work all the harder. Not, not out of guilt or out of fear of being disciplined, but out of love and joy and delight because you're working with dad. Okay, now we're, we're mixing metaphors with this, uh, the spirit being in us and, and Jesus uh, being the, the son of God. And now we're talking about God the father. But that, but that whole orbed Trinitarian understanding of, of God is what it takes to follow Jesus. We, we say that we work harder knowing that God is with us because he's that loving parent who has, who has drawn us close and now we get the privilege of working alongside of him. That actually, that's why we picked the name Missio Dei. It means the mission of God. It's not our job to go save people. God is saving people. God is drawing people to himself. And out of his mercy, he invites us to work with him. It's like when your dad's mowing the lawn and you're pushing the little fake lawnmower behind it. You feel like you're doing something, but God is using us to further his mission. And again, the reason we know that God is with us is because we have this promise that Christ is in us. But it actually gets better than that. Okay, the good news of this is because God is with us, or if God is with us, it means that Christ is in us. But if Christ is in us, it means that God himself is for us. Okay, don't, don't get lost in all these prepositions because they're, they're so important. Or I don't even know, those prepositions? Whatever those were, in, for, all that stuff? I don't know. Whatever those words are, the little words, don't get lost in the little words. <laughs> God is with us because Christ is in us. And if Christ is in us, it means that God is for us. Think about that, that mind-blowing truth for a little bit. God is for you because his spirit resides in you. I mean, do, do we actually believe that God is for us? That, that concept it should just shatter all of our understandings of what it means to love and serve God. God is for you because his spirit dwells in you. Like, that's amazing. This, this passage in Hebrews has been really just speaking to me a lot of different ways lately. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, talking about Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So, so there's a lot going on there. In the beginning he's saying, Don't be consumed by greed. If, if, if it's greed or some other idol or struggle, you have some sin in your life. As long as that dominates your life, you're not able to rest in this understanding that God is for you. And, and then he ends by saying, don't be driven by other people's opinions. As long as approval or needing other people to affirm you, as long as that is dominating your life, you won't be able to rest in God's favor for you. And in the middle of that is this beautiful truth where Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's never going to abandon us. He's never going to turn his back on us. God is with us because his spirit is in us. And if his spirit is in us, then, then he is for us. Okay, this, Paul uh, fleshes this out a little bit more in Romans 8. Romans 8, 31. It says, um, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And again, God is for you. Who could possibly be against you? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how, uh, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, 
who is at the right hand of God and who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I, I, I read that too often and I shrug and say, okay, God's for me. Okay, that sounds good. And I just dismiss it because I look at those words and I'm complacent towards this idea that God is for me because Christ is in me, and that's the reason we know that God is with us. If we read these verses, if our heart's tendency is to just shrug and say, oh, what's the big deal? We don't understand what he's saying here. That's the, um, I've told this story before, but uh, another, another movie quote, right? Uh, Goodwill Hunting. There's, if you've seen that movie, there's a scene where this guy is talking to his counselor, and his counselor told, tells him that, you know, this, this really isn't your fault. And he shrugs and says, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, and he goes, no, no, no. It's not your fault. And he says, yeah, yeah, I know. And, and it happens like 15 times. I'm just repeating, no, it's not your fault. And eventually, those words break through the guy's head and sink into his heart, and he starts weeping uncontrollably because he finally understands this guilt he's been carrying is not his fault. And, and I think that's us when we hear these words, God is for you, God loves you. We hear that and we go, yeah, yeah, I know. That sounds good. And we say, no, no, God is for you. And we, and we shrug again. And, and you need to have that pounded into your head so many times. Hear it repeated over you. Have people who love you pray it over you till we understand and begin to weep with this concept that God is for us. He loves us because his spirit is in us. And that's why we can trust this promise that he will always be with us. So the beauty of, of Christmas though right now is we get to, to see not only this specific love. We've been talking about this the special love of God because his spirit is in us. But if you pull back, you can also see that the God's love is for all humanity. Okay, this is this doctrine called common grace. That God extends his grace to the, all the ends of the earth because he is a good father. His mercy is seen in so many ways in our lives. We have Job 34 says, If God should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. The reason each of us has life and breath in us is because God's mercy is on all of our hearts. He's the one that gives us life and breath and movement, and we have our being in him. Acts 14 says, Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. We see God's goodness in that he satisfies our hearts with food and gladness. Think about this, this Christmas meal you're going to have in a few days. Where, where, where even if, if you are far from God, God is satisfying your heart with food and gladness because he loves you, because he is a good father. Uh, Psalm 145 says, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Okay, we see his mercy in this season in particular where, where, where God stirs in people's hearts and we're generous towards strangers we've never met. We, we see his mercy in the fact that, that, that people uh, try to, to get along with their family members who are estranged because they want that reconciliation. 
You know, there's all these different things that happens in our culture at Christmas that are a sign of God's mercy in our lives. But here's the thing. We have this choice where we can either just see this as the spirit of Christmas or we can see it as something that points us to the person of Christ. And our culture has this dichotomy where the spirit of Christmas is not the person of Christ. And the spirit of Christmas is gone Jan- or December 26th, right? By the time you're angry, taking back all the presents you didn't really want. You know, but the person of Christ is this eternal God who is promised to be with us, who, who is in us through faith, and who is for us because of his uh, paying the penalty of our sin. That's what the person of Christ is who we need to be drawn to this season. And so don't remain on the edges. If, you, if you're here and you haven't put your faith in him, don't just leave it as this nice Christmas idea. Instead, what it is, is see that, that in the person of Christ, we have the answer to all of these longings. This desire for intimacy, the desire for forgiveness, for our guilt to be erased, to be a part of a true community that's, that's loving and selfless and sacrificial. All of those things are found in Jesus. And, and here's the deal. If you are a Christian, if you know that God is with you because Christ is in you and that means God is for you, it can't stop with you. As a church, it can't stop with us. If all that we are as a community is what we are here for this hour and a half, then again, we're missing the point of why, why we are here. The reason we're here is so that we can get equipped and built up and sent out to go show that love of Jesus to people who need to hear of it. It's that analogy, like if you, if you are a, a pond and water flows into you but doesn't flow out, eventually you become a stagnant, gross, moss-filled, disgusting, stench-filled water. But if you are a pond that has water flowing in and flowing out, it keeps the water healthy and it's clear, and it's life-giving, and it's refreshing. And so as Christians, it can't just be God pouring into us. It's God pours into us so that it can flow through us and impact other people. That's the mission of God. That's why we're ending this Advent series here with Matthew 28. The reason Jesus ended with this great commission and saying, I will be with you, is because his presence with us should compel our mission to go take the love of Jesus to people who need to hear of it. It can't stop with us. It has to flow through us and bless other people around us. Colossians 1 says it this way, to them God, talking about uh, the Gentiles Paul's been ministering to, says to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory and this mystery. This mystery is Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. This call to discipleship, this call to maturity in Christ is Christ working in you so that he can work through you and disciple other people. So, so uh, Brandon mentioned that we're having this, our discipleship collectives is what we're calling them. It's men's, women's, or missional communities. The reason that's kicking off in January is we're trying to simplify how we do discipleship and what, what, what our, our programs are so that we have more space to be with other people so that we have more, more freedom in our schedules to go love people who would never come to church, who, who, who would never come to our missional community. We want to have the freedom to go to them because the, the miracle of Christmas is that God left heaven and came to be with us. And, and that's the call that we have as Christians is if he came to be with us, we are to go and be with other people. Okay, so um, 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, 
because you had become very dear to us. Paul's saying his ministry to the Thessalonians was characterized by he wasn't willing to just share with them the gospel. He didn't just go preach with them, but he gave them himself as well. He lived among them. He sacrificially was present with them. And that's this idea of being affectionately desirous of you. I love that combination. Affection. Your love and your, your, your um, affection for someone rests on them. But you're also desirous of them. You don't just love them and are content for them to stay where they're at. You love them so that you can desire for them to grow in an understanding of the gospel. And the way that that happens is not just by you doing a drive-by preaching where you, you say some, give them some gospel track and keep moving. What happens is, is you go and you be with them. Just like God is with us, you go be with them. And it's your presence that empowers this ministry. Hey, God is with us. And if, and if, the reason we know God is with us is because Christ is in us. And if Christ is in us, it means God is for us. And if God is for us, there's no kind of ministry that we shouldn't feel confident to go do. There's, there's no type of person whom we can't love because Christ is in us and God is for us. So, so like the, the closing application question for all of us this morning is who is God calling you to go be with? He said, go make disciples of all nations. Who is God calling you to go be with and to love so that they can come to know the love of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence here with us, that we have this, this reality that you are with us. It's not, not something that ended 2,000 years ago, but your presence is still here with us. God, I thank you that your spirit resides in us and that it empowers us to do your ministry. And I pray that, that all of us here would be changed by this truth that you are for us that you love us because you're a good father who paved the way for us to be saved, to find our hope in you. I pray as we turn to our discussion tables now that, that you would guide our discussion, that we would love each other well, that we would be merciful on those who doubt, and that we would be this safe place to point each other to your grace. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, uh, if this is your first time here, we're glad you're worshiping with us. Uh, we do the next, we'll spend the next 10 minutes or so at our tables just discussing some of what we've talked about. So if this is your first time, uh, don't feel pressure to share anything beyond what you're already comfortable sharing. Uh, but this is also, if you want to open up, this is a great place to, to talk about what God's doing in your heart. So we have some questions to get us going. Um, first of all, how does the knowledge that God is with you, in you, and for you, in those prepositions, I'm told, uh, how does that change how you think and feel about mission? So mission is taking the love of Jesus to people who don't know Jesus. And if you understand this idea of God with, in, and for you, how does that change the way you think about it and feel about it? Because some of us are thinkers and some of us are feelers and we want to all process this together. Secondly, how is your everyday life impacted by the fact that we believe in a God who is always with us? The answer in regards to actions and attitudes. So it's a similar question, but think about it. How does your life change because you know God is with you? Or how should your life change because you know God is with us? And that affects both our attitude, how we view the world, but also our actions, the things we actually do. And then lastly, who is God calling you to go share the love of Jesus with this Christmas season? And if you'd rather keep that name private and to yourself, that's fine. But, but, but process that as a table. Or who is God calling you to go love this season? And we'll do that for 10 minutes, and then we'll take communion and worship together. Well, we're going to end this week as we do every week by celebrating communion together. And I, I hope this, uh, these last three weeks, this study, trying to understand what it means for God to be with us has impacted you. Uh, it has been a very 
transform in a few weeks for me here personally, just to, to be honest, understanding how, how little of my life is actually lived under that understanding that God is always with me and that God, uh, Christ is always in me and that God is always for me. And as our discussion table was talking about, a lot of the reasons why we fail to live out this great commission, the reason we don't actually go tell people the good news of Jesus is because we haven't spent enough time truly understanding what that means. And, and we, don't, we don't want to take a, a risk and step out because we don't actually believe, if we're honest, that God is always with us, that Christ is in us, and therefore God is for us. And so if that's the case, if, if you're like me and that is an ongoing struggle that you have, then what are we to do about it? And, and I think there's a lot of approaches you can take. One of the things that we are commanded in Scripture that we are, we are told to partake of to help strengthen our souls is this weekly celebration and remembrance of the Lord's death and resurrection through communion. So the, the reason we take communion every week it's because there's not a week that goes by that I don't need to be reminded that Christ has died for me, that Christ rose defeating death and sin, and that Christ will one day come again. And, and so communion is that time where we say, this isn't just about what Jesus did beforehand, but we also collectively as the people of God look forward to the future and we, we proclaim his death uh, until he comes. First Corinthians 11, 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as often as you look backward to the death and resurrection of Jesus, you are looking forward, proclaiming his death until he comes. And so as a, as a body of Christ, collectively we do that because it's a lot easier to remember these truths in community. If you are feeling weak, there's other people to help point you to Jesus till you are strong to stand. And so when we come up together, it's this corporate sacrament where together we partake of the elements. And a lot of times we do that by ourselves, just we grab the elements and go back to our tables. This morning, like this concept of God being with us until the end of time is, is such an important concept that I want us to partake of communion together. So the way we're going to do it this morning is if you are a follower of Christ, anytime during these next two songs, come up and grab the elements, the, the juice and the bread and take them back to your seat. Uh, don't take of them yet, just hold them. And then after that second song, we'll, I'll come back up here and we'll all uh, read that passage in 1 Corinthians and then all partake of the, the bread and the juice together, reminding us that, that we all need Jesus. We don't ever graduate the need for grace. We're never beyond our understanding or need for a better understanding of the gospel. So if you want to stand with me, uh, I will pray and then we'll do two songs. And then uh, during those songs, come up and get the elements and return to your seats and then we will all partake together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here with us this morning. We thank you that we have this sacrament, that we can remember your body that was broken and your blood that was shed for us. I pray that as uh, we sing these songs, that you'd be glorified in our midst, that you would uh, receive our praises out of an act of love on our part, and that we would sense your presence here with us and in us and for us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.